This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. This week uh, we've been celebrating Independence Day. Last week we were revisiting the Quit India movement. This 15th of August 2021 will actually be the 75th Independence Day for India. Now most of us grew up on a steady diet of uh, the heroic adventures of Indian revolutionaries. We read of them in comic books, we saw them in high voltage patriotic films, and we passed by many of their statues or roads. named after them in indian cities or towns they always appear larger than life they look and talk as though they're made of fire they're always mature never afraid rarely flustered or seldom suffering from self doubt they appear fully formed the moment they appear on the pages or on screen Even if they sometimes appear uncertain or ambivalent, those moments look like stage props. They seemingly take place uh, simply because the writers or directors need an occasion to reaffirm the greatness or above average qualities of the hero. General readers rarely notice that the primary objective of a comic book or a film is to move and inspire the audience or to charge them up but what did these revolutionaries do when they were not throwing bombs or blowing off trains what were they like as children or as students or as gandhians did they ever have any life other than as revolutionaries they did but those lives are mundane and otherwise unremarkable hardly different from the lives of other average people now those lives remain hidden from our attention particularly because there was no heroism or drama there in any conventional sense but that is not completely right historian aparna vaidik writes in her new book waiting for swaraj that those very moments actually made revolutionaries or krantikaris who they later became she claims that it was when they had been and i quote waiting for swaraj unquote meaning when they planned plotted organized worked dreamed debated and struggled with deprivations that they really made themselves their heroic exploits or their rebellious pamphlets really offer any information on their lives in the underground but it is in that very underground in that very hidden life that real action took place their memoirs make up one of the sources which speak about these hidden lives now these memoirs were not mere recollections 
They were written with the objective to leave an imprint on history. They recall the past in the present for the purpose of securing it for the posterity in the service of an imagined future. Writing was for them one of the ways they took control of history. These memoirs show an urgency to record the story of their participation in and their contribution to the nationalist struggle. Let us take only one example to see how infinitely colorful the life of revolutionaries could be. Let's talk about Chandrasekhar Azad. As a matter of fact, very little is usually known about his early life. Apparently, um, there's only one childhood story about Azad that is widely known. And this occurs a few days before he left his home forever. He was playing with his friends with um, a box of matches. His mother suddenly spotted them playing with fire, literally. Why haven't he gone to school? What are you doing? She was angry. And he replied playfully, perhaps like Krishna, quote, experimenting mother, a single match gives a good deal of light. I wanted to see how much light a box full of matches will give, unquote. Now, this story comes from um, the Amar Chitrakatha comics. And Amar Chitrakatha were an extremely popular illustrated storybook series for the middle class children. Um, it started in 67, 1967 and still remains very popular. And the story uh, from which this quote I took was called um, Chandrasekhar Azad, Freedom Was His Mission. So there are other versions of this story, but there are problems with um, stories like this. Stories such as this make Azad appear as though he was naturally born a revolutionary, even when he was a mere boy perhaps an early teenager, as though um, he did not know fear even when he was a very young boy. Now, that is clearly not true. And that is why I'll tell you about the early life of Chandrasekhar Azad, the details about his early life, which really is not known at all except uh, in a very limited manner and beyond very limited circles. His um, compatriots, his companions, um, wrote about him and uh, my information comes uh, mainly from their memoirs and from uh, Professor Baidik's book. So Azad was called Chandrasekhar Tiwari. That's his name. He was youngest of five children and grew up in an extremely poor household. His parents lived in a town called Bavra or Vavra, which was in the princely state of Ali Rajpur in the central provinces. It was a predominantly tribal area. Conflict between tribal and settled peasant communities um, alongside famine and hunger was um, 
an everyday reality in places like that. His father, Sitaram Tiwari, held small jobs. He was a guard, for instance, in the government gardens in Ali Rajpur. The village society was caught up in a time warp and seeped in superstition. The town of Bavra was more like an island. There was very little communication or navigable roads. There would be decoits, sadhus and fakirs um, as visitors. Chandrasekhar's family had no idea that there was a nationalist upsurge underway in the country. As a matter of fact, uh, he left the village possibly to escape his poverty and other limited circumstances. Where did he go? He took a train and landed up in Bombay and found employment on one of the Bombay dockyards. What would he do there? Senior laborers um, gave him a job, found work for him. He would work with sheep painters and he would live with um, the quarters of the dockward laborers. Now, these quarters were basically closed rooms with no windows or any other room for air to pass. So the air was laden with the smell of sweat and tobacco smoke. They slept on the floor. The floor was often dirtied by spitting. Chandrasekhar slept on a mat and woke up every morning at five o'clock, left for walk with others. He would finish work and spend his time loitering on the roads and, and this is interesting, watching a film. He would return to his room only when he simply could not put off sleep anymore. He had no friends or companions in the city. The quarters where he lived had no provision for taking a bath. And he did not take a bath except for once a week. He would not wash his clothes. He would typically bathe once a week under a hand pump and throw away the dirty clothes. He would buy a cheap set of uh, used clothes every Sunday from the stolen goods market and wear them after birth every time. Naturally, um, he had a number of problems. Let's turn to his problems about eating. He was a Brahmin, um, so he would not eat food cooked by them, his, um, his colleagues, for fear of despoiling his caste. He was the son of a staunch Brahmin, and he would have now to prepare his own meal. The problem was he did not know how to cook, so he attempted to learn cooking from a fellow colleague, but failed miserably. Most of the time, he could not get the fire started or he would add too much water to the door. However, um, he could not even go to uh, hotels and eat because Brahmins could not do that. He did not know the chef's caste. So <laughs> Chandrasekhar Azad was struggling as a dockyard worker in Bombay. So he decided to leave Bombay. But he did not know where to find his food. He had no job. He had heard from somewhere, um, perhaps from his father, that uh, Brahmins uh, often went to Banaras to study Sanskrit. 
And there, Brahmin boys were given free uh, food and lodging, sometimes even clothing. And that helped him to decide to go to Banaras. He took the very next train, went straight to Banaras Sanskrit College and enrolled himself as a student. So, he did not quite enjoy uh, studies, to be honest, but um, he was for once assured of his mills and having a roof over his head certainly helped. By chance, um, when Chandrasekhar Azad went to Banaras, which was around 2021, 1920-21, um, Gandhi's non-cooperation movement was at its height. And the Congress committees in Banaras were busy. They were organizing um, the boycott of foreign goods, picketing of shops which were selling um, drink and liquor. Most of the major Congress leaders of the city of Banaras, such as Acharya Kripalani or uh, Kamalapati Tripathi, were jailed. So plenty of young leaders of the Congress took charge of the movement. The students of Banara Sanskrit College uh, thus had an opportunity to lead non-cooperation movement in Banaras. This um, allowed Chandrasekhar Tiwari and his friends uh, Gyan Chandra Murabbawale and Vishwanath Sharma to uh, come to the front line and they were arrested one day by the police for picketing a liquor shop near um, the office of a Hindi newspaper. They were taken to Banaras district jail. So Gyan Chandra and Vishwanath um, received the sentence of hard labor for a month. Chandrasekhar, however, was released because he was too young to go to jail. So he immediately went back to join picketers. Um, they were now preventing examinations from being held in government Sanskrit college. He was once again caught by the police and this time he was um, taken to jail. He was charged with disrupting order and uh, made to appear before a magistrate. This was a dramatic moment in uh, Tiwari's life. The judge asked the young boy his name and other details of his family. He stood up and said his name was Azad. His father's name was Fatantra and his home address was a jail cell. He became famous overnight. Soon after his release, he was publicly feted as the young nationalist who took the lashes instead of asking for pardon. From that day onward, he dropped the Brahmin surname Tiwari and came to be known as Azad or the Liberated. So this incident when he was um, made to suffer caning or lashing by the police somehow um, consecrated him, sanctified him as a satyagrahi and as a nationalist. But do not forget, all this was happening because he was participating in the non-cooperation movement led by Mahatma Gandhi. So the early life 
and the first exposure of Chandrasekhar Azad to nationalist movement was by means of his participation in the Gandhian non-cooperation movement. What changed then? How did a Gandhian become a very powerful embodiment and indeed an iconic figure in a tradition that came to be known as thoroughly anti or un-Gandhian? Well, Azad's life, like um, those of several other young men, gradually began to turn towards revolutionary highway or towards revolutionary terrorism, if you like, after uh, the suspension of the non-cooperation movement following the infamous Chauri Chora incident on uh, 5th of February 1922. The abrupt withdrawal of the movement created... Uh, intense frustration with Gandhi. They were questioning his political philosophy and his method of non-violence. Now, this is a stream that comes up consistently in a number of uh, memoirs and interviews of the revolutionaries. They began to believe if a widespread mass movement such as Gandhi's, could not succeed in liberating India, then armed revolution was the only way forward. So, Azad was gradually growing disenchanted of Gandhian non-violence. But he did not give up on Gandhi right away. He took time. He entered into a conversation with a number of uh, leaders who had been at the time organizing and uh, collecting young recruits for revolutionary activities. He became finally a member of Hindustan Republican Army, a revolutionary organization really, which had branches in a number of cities in the United Provinces. The first thing Azad did on becoming um, a member of HRA, was to completely detach himself from his family in Bavra. He had once visited them when he was a student um, in Kashi Vidyapit, but then he never went back. He also took up uh, regular exercising and consequently a new turn now entered into Azad's life. He gradually earned the trust of senior revolutionaries. But um, we must remember at the stage that Azad did not go to Banaras because he wanted to join the national struggle. He was drawn to Banaras for the free lodging and boarding, uh, which was available to Brahmin boys who studied Sanskrit. Banaras, of course, was at the time the foremost center of Brahminical learning. So Chandrasekhar Azad also came closer to other influences in Banaras, not just the nationalist movement. In fact, Banaras introduced Azad to the world of Gosais or armed Hindu ascetics, 
Um, they were a dominant social group in the city of Banaras. They combined religiosity with trading and soldiering. They formed the city's uh, militarized religio-commercial group. Now, the word Gosai primarily referred to ascetics uh, who belonged to the Dasnami or uh, Shaiva Dasnami sect. But by the early 20th century, the term um, Gosai had lost its sectarian meaning and it usually referred to both Dasnamis and Ramanandi Bairagis or those who worshipped uh, Lord Vishnu. Interestingly, um, there was a great increase in the number of uh, Gosais in the 19th century. Uh, they settled down in Banaras and set up a number of Akhadas. Um, the Akhadas could be translated as um, a confraternity, an order or a war band. These were the main organizing units of the Gosais. And life inside the Akharas was um, organized uh, by means of the Guru-Chela uh, relationships. And the Akharas were popular for their openness and welcoming attitude towards people without any regard to caste or religion. In fact, these Akharas offered young men from uh, lower classes a social mobility. They would be mentored and then trained into Gosai's in future. So these Akhalas created and controlled a wide trading network. And this network connected Akhala members in various uh, cities and pilgrimage towns. They uh, offered armed protection, the Gosai's, to merchants who traveled through these pilgrim highways. So in Banaras, Azad also developed connections with the Gosais and their Akharas. Now that, of course, was the early life of Chandrasekhar Azad before he moved into another phase. Now you can clearly see that caste and religion did not necessarily come into a conflict with Azad's future nationalist um, endeavor or initiatives. I'll try and um, explore a few cases or instances when Azad did not see any conflict between his religion, his caste, and his nationalism. He did not see any essential conflict between his religious belief and between um, and being a revolutionary. He was a young Brahmin. He belonged to a traditional Sanatani family and practiced idol worship and uh, literally was seeped in religiosity. His family, despite uh, poverty, observed the Brahminical caste and dietary taboos. He wore uh, the sacred thread he confirmed uh, his Dvija or twice-born status 
and he continued to wear his ceremonial thread until the end of his life. Now, he was not really very different from um, the other members of Hindustan Republican Army. Ram Prasad Bismil, like Azad, came from a poor Brahmin family. Uh, Bismil was a staunch Arya Samaji. He observed Niyam Acharan, the strict dietary and physical injunctions um, which the Arya Samaj prescribed. So Azad and many of his associates used to recite the Gita for inspiration. Um, for them, it was Hindu philosophy that initiated them into the revolutionary movement. So once we look at some of these early life incidents and trajectories of the famous revolutionaries with, as I did, a core example such as Chandrasekhar Azad, we understand that they decided and indeed practiced often uh, no conflict or um, confrontation between their past, their religion, and their nationalist aspirations. Azad was a staunch Brahmin. He was also a dockyard laborer who went to see movies. At the same time, he would also read Gita. He would leave his village because he wanted to escape the restrictions of a small backward place. But um, he would go to Banaras not to learn Sanskrit, but in search of food and lodging. Likewise, many years later, during the 1930s, many of these people would take to socialism, not by reading um, original works by international socialist thinkers, but by uh, reading Hindi uh, summaries of uh, some of these works written up by journalists who were themselves certainly not communists. Um, Bhagat Singh and Azad, for instance, learned of socialism by, by reading articles in Ganesh Shankar Vidyarthi's Pratap. So um, the life of these revolutionaries in their raw and edgy average practices was in itself very dramatic. They imagined themselves as um, a normal and average Indian. I'll conclude with um, an account of Chandrasekhar Azad's final years. He had already taken part in a number of daredevil operations. He had been now absconding. The police all over India had been searching for him. Most of his um, compatriots and companions had been caught. But he had assumed the life of what he came to be called later, a Baharupia, someone who kept shifting his shape. He took the name of Hari Shankar. Hari Shankar lived in a small Hanuman temple in a village called Dhimarpura near the princely state of Orcha in central provinces. He used to survive on Madhukari. 
that is collecting food that was just enough for him to survive from the householders. In those days, it was a tradition to feed any sadhu or sannyasi who appeared at your doorstep. With time, Harishankar took to narrating the Ramayana in his village. He also started a small patshala, a village school for little kids outside the Hanuman temple. Everyone had a good word for Harishankar Brahmachari. Convinced of Harishankar's repute as an ascetic, Thakur Malkhan Singh, who uh, was a rich man in the village, but also an employee in the forest department, made arrangements for Harishankar to run his patshala and to do his Ramayan session on the community place in the village in front of his house. So Malkhan Singh also made sure that Harishankar Brahmachari received his meals from his home. He used to enjoy Harishankar's company and they would sometimes talk well into the night. Malkhan Singh actually grew to uh, trust Harishankar um, so much so that he would sometimes leave behind his key of the family um, treasury and of the guns which were kept. He would go on his work um, and he would leave his keys and uh, the security of his home with Harishankar. Harishankar, of course, uh, did not break his trust. He would wake up early morning, bathe in the river and exercise in the temple's akhara. Interestingly, Harishankar was also a good marksman and would hunt with Malkan Singh. These hunting expeditions brought him into the circle of local rajas and zamindars. Once, when they were out hunting, the Orcha Naresh shot at an animal and missed. And so did his returners. Harishankar took out his pistol, took aim and shot at the animal. The bullet found its mark. The king of Orcha was stunned and he began to suspect that Harishankar was not simply any old sannyasi. Now, this is just uh, a few incidents from the intrepid life of um, Chandrasekhar Azad. These people, men like Chandrasekhar Azad, did not um, really expect for freedom or independence to arrive in their lifetime. They knew for a fact that freedom um, is yet a distant dream. For them, nonetheless, their everyday life, the act of leaving out, planning, appearing important, supplying resources to their companions, every one of these mundane jobs amounted to working for a distant dream and they lived every moment of these dreams as though they were making or taking positive forward steps or movements towards the realization of their uh, Swaraj. 
Aparna Vaidik's book uh, deal at far greater length with uh, many such instances. For lack of time, we will have to cut short our episode today at this point. I would very much like to wish you a happy Independence Day, a very happy 75th Independence Day for our country. Meanwhile, do please tell us what you think about this episode or other episodes of History Chatter. Do subscribe to History Chatter in the Epilogue Media website or wherever you get your podcast from. This is your friend Onirban signing off and I promise to be back very soon with an equal or far more exciting episodes. See you.